Welcome to Thinking Reimagined. Thinking Reimagined is a unique platform for thoughts provoking intergenerational dialogue in a diverse and inclusive setting with a focus on impactful change in the global workplace and community. Our stakeholders' conversations aim to spark thought, leadership, curiosity, engagement, collaboration, and learning amongst individuals, teams, and beyond. Enjoy, Enjoy this episode. episode and subscribe to Thinking Reimagined on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and other outlets. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Thinking Reimagined podcast. I am Nifemi Ogutuye. Have you heard about the good girl syndrome or what some call the good girl complex? It has to do with um, certain social behaviors internalized by young women by virtue of um, what is accepted to be right or wrong or what they are told to do or not to do. And it's um, intended impact on quality of life. But because I didn't have the unique opportunity to be a girl, I've asked three people who were once girls to join me on this podcast. And I'd like to introduce them to you. Dr. Amma is the founder of Live Abundantly. She's also the executive producer of the Thinking Remarging podcast. I left out Allied Empowerment. All right, so she's also the founder of Allied Empowerment. So Dr. Amma, I'm looking forward to taking you down memory lane today from when the doctor used to be a girl. I hope you- Well, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to this discussion, if I may, because it's one that we need to have. We really need to put this on the table, dissect it and toss it out of the window because this good girl syndrome, this good girl complex is affecting girls and women in immeasurable ways in the, in, at home, in school, in the workplace. And really it's a detriment to the success and the well-being of the other 50%. And the types of pressures that we put on our girls as to how to behave, how to present themselves, how to work, how to interact. Uh, I mean, the list goes on, is immense. And if we as stakeholders don't begin to address this, um, it's going to continue. So I am really excited to be joined by two other dynamic women who are vocal on this subject. Um, Vina, who is, um, what can I say, a co-Savitas member and uh, an ambassador. Are you an ambassador at uh, Savitas? Yeah. Yes. So we're both co-global um, ambassadors for Savitas World Business Women um, in the UK. And of course, you've got Miss Abby joining us, who is an educationist and a passionate um, individual when it comes to issues of parenting and trauma. Nifemi, we can't wait to hear what your questions are today because we're ready for this discussion, aren't we, ladies? We most certainly are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good to hear that, Dr. Abba. Uh, Miss Abby found the parties. Good to see you. It's been a while. Where have you been? I've been busy <laughs> getting lots of other things done um, that I do. I, I'm sure you know I teach as well. So it's been examination period. 
Um, there's been a huge exodus of Nigerians, as you know, leaving and coming to settle in the UK. So I've had lots and lots of work to do um, and preparing myself to join, rejoin. Aha. You're welcome, Matt. Good to what? see you. Rejoin the <laughs> podcast, of course. Rejoin Good. the podcast family. <laughs> yes. All right. So we have um, Vina joining us for the first time. Vina Ramfa. In addition to all that Dr. Amma said about you, Rita is also a classical India dancer with PhD in philosophy and dance. That's amazing. I, I, I snuck to your Instagram page and I must say your dances are quite unique and interesting. I think there's more to dance than most of us know, right? There is a lot more to yes. dance. Um, in many ways, all of life is just a dance. <laughs> Ah, interesting, but as, especially when you talk about dancing for meditation, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. So having trained in classical Indian dance, I come to realize that the way that we take up space through the body is extremely important. And this relates directly to the good girl syndrome. So because as girls, what we're taught is don't take up space. Take up as little space as you possibly can because that will make other people feel comfortable. So mm -hmm. as a dancer, one of the main things that I am expressing and teaching is how to take up space fully, unapologetically, but also harmoniously. Harmoniously with everything around us. Hmm. It's almost sounding spiritual. I agree. It is. I would say it is. And if Femi, we're here to take up our space. <laughs> Remember my saying about bring your benches? It's along that line as well. Women need to own their spaces and, um, and, and give Absolutely. voice to their being. Because really, what people do to girls, uh, by, by imposing their rules of how we should engage, is minimize us so that uh, when we do express ourselves, people either recoil and think, well, that's not the way she should express herself, as opposed to, well, well, she's got something to say, let us listen. So boys are socialized very differently. And um, it all starts in childhood. And that's why I was so eager to have this conversation today with these women, because their vantage points is, um, is interesting. And we come to the intersection of all of it. And it gives um, credence to the, to the need to get rid of this syndrome. Indeed. It's very pervasive. So, yeah. Let's get to it. I'd like to find out from everyone on this panel about your experience with the good girl syndrome growing up. Um, Vina, so I'm going to ask you the first question you usually would ask all your guests on tearing off the good girl script. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for mentioning. Yes, so actually what, this whole what? session came about through a conversation that Dr. and I, Amma and I had um, at a Savitas lunch where I spoke about my podcast, Tearing Up the Good Girl Script. So, which actually started many years ago in 2008 as a workshop for women called Tearing Up the Good Girl Script. Now the good girl script is the one that says, you shouldn't be doing that because you're a girl. 
and it has many, many iterations. It has iterations for our emotional expression, for our ambition, for our intimacy, for romantic relationships, for our friendships, for the way we take up space in life. But what I found is that every time a woman, particularly women leaders, every time we reach a new level of expression, it's because we have torn up a version of that script that says you shouldn't be doing that because you're a girl. Mm. So if I think back, this is the first question that I ask guests on tearing up the good girl script, right? So my first question is, when was the first time you can remember in your childhood that you were given that message? You shouldn't be doing that because you're a girl. Now, I think in my childhood, there were, I'm sure that there, like all of us, there were so many ways in which that message was given. Um, and I think that in this moment, what I can remember is that while learning how to dance, I was being taught how to take up space. But then as soon as I came out of the dance class or off the stage and went into real life, I had to go back into this being a good girl. Um, and I remember, I'm sure all of us here on the panel can remember being told, being praised for being good, being praised for doing what we were told. I mean, that was something that my mother kept, would always say to me, just do as you're told, just do as you're told. And that squashes you, it stops your expression. So I had this duality going on of learning how to take up space and being encouraged to, to take up space as a dancer, but then in my life being encouraged not to. So I had this kind of duality going on. And I think in many ways, my work is very much to learn how to take up space in life as well. Thank you, Nifemi. Fantastic. Quite um, expressive. I thought that you were going to be a little bit more detailed and specific to the things you were told. You want to try that, Vina? Some of the, the things, things you that I, Yeah, sure. So certainly do as you're told. Don't ask questions. Um, and then I think, uh, you know, as one grows up and comes into teenagerhood and then into young adult, adulthood, the script becomes more, you know, like you say, it does become more and more specific, right? So boys are allowed to do certain things, girls are not. Don't run too fast. You know, sit with your legs crossed. Don't sit like this. And I think those are the things that I remember a lot, the body things, because I'm a body person. So as soon as you tell girls, don't sit that way, because if you sit that way, you will attract the wrong kind of attention. You are immediately giving her a huge barrier. And here's what happens is that the, the message that we receive as girls when we, hear, when we hear don't sit like that, the message we receive is you have done something wrong just by being who you are. And the damage that that inflicts is unbelievable. I mean, it goes through life if we're not careful. And that's why I'm so keen to tear up the good girl script because we have to remove that and replace it with a different script. Um, and some of you here are parents. The voice of the parent is extremely important. 
And what I would say to mothers is, and I have to say, I do not have children. I have never wanted children. I knew as a child that in this lifetime, that is not my job to be a bi biological parent. I have a different role to play. Um, but what I would say to mothers is that you model for your daughters. It's not what you tell your daughters so much, although that's very impactful, but the way you behave will translate and transfer onto them. So that's why I work with adult women as well, because I think it's so important for adult women to change the script for themselves so that they can then change it for their daughters. And for fathers, I would say that, you know, in some ways, as daughters, we learn from, it's our fathers who tell us how much we can explore and how much we can't explore. Mm. So the role of the father I is extremely see. important here. Wow. I, I, That's very, very true. I, am, I, I concur I with you. Yes, I am blown away, particularly when you talk about um, identifying that having a children, having children of yours is not the, your role to play in this life. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I've heard it directly from someone like that. But Miss Abby, let me hear from you. One of these views is telling girls don't express strong views in conversations. Which of them did you hear growing up? And how much impact did they have on you? Well, I would say that um, growing up, I wasn't much of a speaker. I was a doer. So uh, I had two sides to me, the side that uh, wanted to play with dolls all the time. But I also had the side that wanted to climb trees all the time. So I had the boy side, which I was always getting told off for. Don't climb that tree. You know, don't do that. Um, don't be out all day, go back inside. So I take my dolls outside, leave them under the tree and then climb the tree. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then as I grew up, <clears throat> I got a lot of, you've got to, as a girl, you've got to listen to what grown-ups tell you. So I had this uh, huge uh, mind, you know, I had, I had to um, go through three years of an undergraduate degree that I didn't want to study because I didn't have a voice. I didn't have a voice to either run away, <laughs> to say I'm leaving, I don't want to study this. Um, but I was being told what to do and I had to listen for that reason. And um, I'm grateful I have that degree now, by the way. And I, I must thank um, my parents for maybe vicariously forcing that down my throat. But anyway, um, but the, the script, the good girl script is something that follows a woman throughout her life. So it starts off with your parents, you see. And then it goes on to your partner, where your partner expects you to be a good girl because that's, you know, that's why he is with you because you're a good woman. So it becomes a good woman. And then it becomes good mother. You know, are you a good enough mother? Are you a good enough, a significant other, wife, partner? Um, so it, it's something that we carry on, carry with us as we grow um, older. So I'll give you an example. Um, I remember, I mean, just recently I had a, a, a photo shoot, uh, which my sister was uh, helping me with here. And um, I decided to wear a suit because the theme was androgynous. Yes, okay. so it was a male suit maker who had chosen uh, me, of all people, to, you know, wear this suit and see how it goes with the women. So it was tailored for me. Um, and it, for me, it looked fantastic, but a lot of women said, but why a suit? First of all, it doesn't go with your teacher image. 
Secondly, you know, it's very corporate. You're not a very corporate person. And I thought, well, I'm me and I love the suits and I do wear trousers and I do wear dresses. And it's the good girl script again, that you're not allowed to do what you feel because it's mm. deemed rebellious. Aha. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, it's deemed yes. rebellious. I think that's a really good point. It's the, that as soon as women, as women, we start to drop into expressing what is true for us, that can be perceived as rebellion, as something that is going to disrupt the status quo. But I actually think that that's a vital part of our role is to keep questioning the status quo so it doesn't settle, settle into something that oppresses everybody. Because here's the thing, the problem with the good girl script is it doesn't just oppress women, actually. It serves to keep men in their place as well. And I think that's a really important point that we can miss that you know, patriarchy oppresses women by saying you're not allowed to speak, but it oppresses men by saying you're not allowed to feel. Mm. So nobody can take up space in a full kind of way. Yes, and, and it goes both ways, because again, if you, if you don't fit into that traditional girly um, image, so if you're not very emotional or very girly, then you know, it's, it's, it's not taken well. And as a man, if you're not as macho as you're supposed to be, um, it's not taken well as well. So, I mean, in, in the work I've been doing with my trauma work, I found that a lot of um, people, are, they're, they're held back by, in fact, they want to talk, but they feel they'll be doing either their parents or their past an injustice. Mm -hmm. They feel so guilty for speaking the truth and they feel they have to, uh, there's something I say to them that you don't owe keeping secrets of the people that hurt you. You, you can forgive them, but you don't need to hold those secrets. If you were molested, you, you, you know, you don't need to hold that as a secret and keep beating yourself about for that. So it's the good girl and the good boy, actually, which is the, which doesn't allow us to speak sometimes because we feel that we are doing something wrong. We Absolutely. are not I respectful. To, yeah, I wanted to interject here because you mentioned the good boy. I, I think the good girl syndrome is even much more he heavily emphasized than boys behaving. We allow the boys quite a bit of latitude that we do not give to the girls. I mean, when boys play, they're outdoors, there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of activity. Whereas with girls, they, they play quietly and, they, and no one should really hear them. And, and their playtime is limited because, oh yes, you must as a girl learn to cook and know how to clean and know how to take care of your household because that's part of being a good girl. So the type of play that we allow boys versus girls is very different. The allowances for um, behavior that is not deemed appropriate is very restrictive for girls yeah. as opposed to boys. And that in itself 
goes on to affect girls, starting in primary school. I mean, a girl can come into school very, very confident, knowledgeable, doing well. And then we see by the fifth or sixth year is beginning to come down, not because they've lost their intelligence, but they're aware of all the chatter going on mm. around them about, oh, well, you know, you can't be a, how can you be such a smart girl? And, mm. you know, are you doing other things? And, uh, you know, the boys should be the leader. Um, I actually always tell, um, you know, educationists, you really need to encourage the girls to be leaders in the classroom, to speak up, to voice, um, to give them that lead role so that they can also own that space. Um, but it just goes on. And then from there into the workspace where the woman is hesitant to give the work she's produced, uh, or to speak up in a meeting because for fear that she may not say the right thing or she may be perceived as aggressive. We don't use those words when men speak up. We don't say what an aggressive man, but yes, I'm deemed an aggressive woman because I speak, you know, and I own my space. So I am aggressive. I'm not the norm. I'm always wearing trousers and they're still waiting for the day I'm going to wear a skirt. Um, <laughs> this. You, look, you look great in trousers, by the way. <laughs> I, I, wanted to, I wanted to interject quickly and mention something. Um, when, I, when I was also talking about the good boy, I was also trying to explain that society sort of uh, puts these labels on. Of course, we're talking about the good girl script, but also the good boy doesn't do uh, certain things that are deemed that are seen as uh, girly things, so to speak, mm -hmm. you know, but they're not attacked mm -hmm. as much. I mean, there, there's been a huge yeah. increase. I think it's 50 to 60% of children who are non-binary now, yeah. you know, in the schools here, um, who some of them are, are claiming to be because they want to belong to a group. And some of them sincerely right. really are not sure whether they fit into the male or female gender. Mm -hmm. There's been quite a right. lot of work in schools trying to determine is this child seeking for attention is something going on at home and you know he's not getting that attention and he's getting that at school or is it uh, something deeper and something more meaningful that we need to acknowledge so this i'm talking 50 to 70 percent of children you know especially boys coming up as non-binary and again I mean, that's to do with the good, good boy thing. Um, but with girls, I feel that I, I really want to talk about the good teen girl and the good woman because it's the foundations, it's from the foundations, you know, and you find that you're forever climbing up. And by the time you dissociate from being a good girl, you're often in your 30s or 40s. Yeah. And imagine what you would achieve as a girl if you didn't have that label on you. Mm. I think this is a very important point that, you know, it can come at any point in our, our life, this realization of, hang on a second, there is plenty more that I could be achieving here. Um, and I think that this is why I'm really keen on working, when I'm working with my coaching clients, I'm working from the present moment, because we can only change, we can only evolve our, ourselves from this moment that we are in now. And I think that when we do start to evolve ourselves, the question then becomes, okay, once we've torn up that good girl script, what next? What's the next script that we are writing? And I've actually recently have had an upgrade on this. So I wanted to share that. This is the first time I'm sharing this publicly. So I'm honored to be sharing this on this podcast. So in the past, I would say that 
we tear up the good girl script in order to create a happy woman script or a fulfilled woman script. Mm -hmm. But now what I'm saying, what's come through recently is that once we tear up the good girl script, we are becoming the muse of our own life the muse of our own life, because I think we're at the point now where we need this big, ethereal, grand, artistic vision. That is what the world needs right now, because we, we've got this strong polarization politically everywhere, but there's a lot of fear and anger and all of these very brittle, hard kind of discourses and emotions going on. And we need that softness. We need the grandness of art. We need the beauty. I've got this lovely statue behind me. We need beauty. So we are aiming to tear up that script, not just to create a career and achieve things that we then tick off on a box. I think now we're aiming to tear up the good girl script so that we can all become works of art. So that's my invitation here. I agree. I, and the word that I've been using lately is our feminine power, is that we've got this feminine power that we need to learn to use to get us to where it is we wish to go. Um, and, and that's the thing that we need to nurture, um, starting at a young age and, and definitely through things like mentorship and sponsorship and, and being a role model. I mean, a real role model in the essence of owning yourself um that can, we can push that agenda much further but i agree with you it is time to be i i am my own muse i actually spend time laughing at myself and creating this i wish people could see me some days they would think i can't be the same woman but i'm having a grand time in my life right now it's like i've waited to have fun and and be artistically and expressive in in all ways um possible and uh and i i, I don't know how else can i do it but be me exactly <laughs> this is the thinking reimagine podcast sponsored by allied empowerment allied empowerment consultancy offers leadership and innovation through bespoke human development solutions brain-based leadership and coaching Allied Empowerment empowers business leaders, teams, and individuals to intentionally accentuate desired outcomes built on trust, curiosity, psychological safety, engagement, and communication. Allied Empowerment, thriving in a sustainable and valued manner. Has it always been like that for you, Dr. Amma? Because usually, uh, most of the gender pressure we're talking about here is also complicated by issues around race, color, and culture. I've heard you on this platform talk about how intimidated some men are around you and why they ask, why do you dress like a man? Why do you have a mind of your own? Do you, do you <laughs> grow up, did you wake up as a baby given all the chance to be who you are today? Or did you have to fight your way through? <laughs> Well, that's a very good question, Ifemi, because I don't want to go too deeply into my life. You won't be surprised about that because I keep some of it private. But I will say this. Um, I have, I had, because my father is late now, I had uh, an incredible father who cherished and loved all of his children. But I will say in my own little way, I think my father spent more time 
pushing the girls to just be who they were more than anybody else. So I, I give great credit to my father. And I think that the more girls who have fathers who um, value them and give them that space to be themselves, to ask questions, to express themselves, to identify what they love to do, um, to, to select what they wish to read in uni, how they wish to live their lives, um, the better for women to, to reach that state of being. Mm-hmm. Um, in my case, whilst I had that, I also have some incredible women in my lives who were role models as to how you can express yourself. It's one thing to have the platform, but to have other women show you how you can express yourself and that it's okay to say things like, no, I don't want to do that, or no, I don't agree with that um, is fantastic. But then I have to be honest, I also had, um, when we were briefly in Nigeria in the 70s, I had a grandmother who was very traditional and just could not figure me out. It's like, who is this mental case who who can't abide by anything that she's told to do? Um, uh, And um, she used to use, I didn't know then that it was a derogatory term to use to address me, but I did find out when her son, my father said that's inappropriate and I'm not going to repeat it here. Um, But the thing is, uh, because I have lived on in, I'm a global citizen and influenced by so many cultures, um, I did have those who tried to impose their ideas of how I should be. Um, But luckily for me with my father and all of these supporting women that I call my moms really, Um, I was able to push my agenda. Um, I did have times when I had to, for one moment, stop and think, hmm, will life be a little bit easier if I just sort of tagged along? (laughs) Sorry to say, I decided no. (laughs) It won't be. Um, And and here I am today. But I, I did have some knocks along the way where I had to stop and reassess. But I've always been able to say no. I've always been able to speak my mind. I was always encouraged to to share who I was, um, but I did have people who didn't care for it and um, probably some who still don't tolerate it, but here I am unapologetically as per, um, you know, Abby wrote a book. And so her book was unapologetic, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, so yeah. there you go. We've all used that phrase today. Yeah. Yeah. So if I mean a nutshell, yes. Yes, kudos to daddy and the mummies that played um, a pivotal role in who you have become today, Dr. Amma. And I think that should bring us to the role of parenting in all of this. Vina tipped that earlier in our opening remarks, and I'd love to hear Ms. Abby's thoughts about this, particularly when you consider the fact that it is normal for parents to want their children to be kind. Uh, growing up, children have been taught to be kind, obedient, you know, polite, friendly, and not selfish. But mm. then uh, um, we also now see that uh, there is the implication of that with the good girl syndrome, where there is this element of fear of disappointing others, you know, fear of speaking out, of not hurting others, and this obligation to excel, avoid conflict, and things like that. How do we begin to draw the line, Miss Abby? Well, I think um, parenting is. is the most difficult task 
And I can ask the oldest parent here, Dr. Amma, to attest to that. Um, it is a very, very difficult task. And um, I approach parenting with very positively and very naturally in the sense that um, I, I haven't chosen the type of parent, authoritarian or liberal or all that. I'm just me and I'm parenting actually a lot from what I have taken and removed from the way I was parented. Certainly there were many, many good aspects of the way I was parented that I've borrowed from. And there are many that I choose not to uh, look at at all. But um, as a parent, I have two girls, very different, chalk and cheese, apples and pears, <laughs> totally different, but two girls, one very boisterous and one very, very feminine. And having used the word feminine, she's actually become very sporty in the last few months. So I, I suppose that's shifting a bit. But having said that, she could still be feminine and sporty, whichever way. I believe that all parents need to accept each child individually. And the way you parent one child must be very different to the way you parent another child because they're two separate human beings. Um, the way you communicate with each child should be different as well. You know, uh, there's some children that need more time, <clears throat> more of the alone time, they call it, with you. And then some children really like to be on their own. So for those parents who have four, five, six children, it is quite a lot of work, you know, keying into each child's temperament and personality and what that child needs and, and everything like that. But the way I, I hope to continue doing this is to continue bringing them up as world citizens, genderless pretty much, you know, you can achieve whatever you want to achieve so long as you put your mind to it. I certainly wouldn't create any um, boundaries or restrictions in terms of what they choose to be occupied with, you know, if they choose to become fencers or bodybuilders and things like that, because their happiness is what is the most important thing to me right now. And um, every day is very important to me and them being happy is uh, key. Uh, I have That's to second that one. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Amma, you wanted to say. Yeah. I was going to say that, um, you know, for us to tear up the gender, the gender book, or in my case, good girl syndrome, good girl syndrome, good girl complex, however I want to see it. I, I do say that it's going to be really important um, to parent our children in a manner where they, they are themselves and, and they're able to blossom and, and have that space to thrive. I mean, thrive is a big word for me um, in my life, but we also have to teach them um, to set boundaries as opposed to letting others always set boundaries for them because when others set boundaries for you they limit you but if you can set your own boundaries then you're more in control and what happens with the good girl syndrome or complex is that somebody else has set those boundaries for the girls and those are the boundaries that limit them and those are the boundaries that um, they struggle with as, as they become teenagers, as they become adults, because you put a parameter around how they should be, as opposed to they deciding, this is how I wish to be. And that in itself helps them to build confidence and self-esteem and, and, and uh, self-validation 
you know, too many women spend their time looking for external validation. Oh, am I looking well? Or does that look nice? Or should I wear this? Or did I say the right thing as opposed to, I know I'm wearing the right thing and I look nice and I am going to say the right thing. And I did say the right thing. And it all stems from the restrictions as to how you fit and how you should be a good girl or a good wife or a good mother. So much of that good girl syndrome is tied into our relationship with males. Are you the good girl? Are you the good wife? Are you the good partner? Are you the good sister? Are you the good mother? It's all, it's all tied into some expectation of us, um, which I don't think it's realistic and I think is limiting women in the long run. Yes, I also think, Dr. Amma, there's, um, we are taught to be selfless very, very early on. Yes. Mm -hmm. And as a girl grows older, she becomes more and more selfless and takes on, you know, new roles. And there's very little of her left. And she's running on literally zero because she's become so selfless because she's put everybody first, whether it's her family, immediate family, or her children or her significant other, it's all about selflessness. And that again, goes back to what you said about boundaries. I cannot do this. I do not have the will to do this or the interest to do this or the capacity to do this, which we are never taught, taught to say. We are never taught to say, I can't remember whether it was Vino or Dr. Mother said, we are, we're not taught to say no. Yeah, I think there's also yeah. a very important piece that's coming here up here around the generational piece, in the sense that, um, Nifemi, you mentioned, you know, the, the, the cultural piece around this, and the perhaps different countries also have different approaches and so on. Um, but when I've noticed that when women start to blossom and tear up that good girl script and replace it with a new script, often what comes up is guilt. And I know this, that I've experienced this myself. We feel guilty because what about the other women around us? What about the mother? What about the grandmother? What about all of that heritage that I'm so proud of and I'm so much a part of? So this guilt comes up. And I think letting that, finding a way to let that guilt go is a really important piece here. And I think the way that we do that is by recognizing that we are where we are because of everything that has gone before us. So we're not going against what's gone before us. We are evolving it. We are adding to it. We are, in fact, honoring it by creating a new script for ourselves. And when we step into that space of evolution, we are making available a whole new reality for other people to join in. So I just wanted to bring that piece up about the guilt piece, because I, I've seen that that can be so corrosive. It can be the thing that keeps hooking us back into the old pattern and it can be very, very subtle. So I think that's a really big part of the work here. Absolutely. You know what, Vina? I agree. I'm yeah. going to recommend this particular podcast to my wife, because anytime I take her out to have a nice time, she always returned home guilty because the children are not there. Yeah. She just can never imagine having a nice time without our children being around. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of the things we're talking about here. So as we get to wrap up,
I like us to uh, focus on what must be done. You know, you talked about tearing up a script and coming up with a totally different one. I studied a research um, from Stanford University some, some months ago, and, you know, certain participants were asked to list the desired adjectives for men and women. So it's funny Nifemi said about um, the guilt about going out and how ladies that go out after work are seen as very, very um, male, you know, um, going out with your girlfriend is seen as a, a terrible thing in some, you know, in some circles, <laughs> leaving your children behind to be looked after by somebody else to have a good time, um, especially in some cultures is seen as totally irresponsible. I, I really can't get my head around that, to be honest, because um, how do you get a balance of your, how do you, you know, enjoy your life if you're... Yeah, that's a good point. Because, that's a very good point because I always say to people, it's about life. You need to live and work and family and all of those other things are a subset of living. So living your life is, is so critical because that's the only way that you can demonstrate to others what is possible. You know, the way you show your girls or your children that they can take care of themselves is by you taking care of, of yourself, by having some balance in your life. You shouldn't feel guilty that you're going out to um, have, you know, go out for dinner or drinks. Actually, women even feel guilty about buying a pair of shoes or buying a dress for themselves. But their partners have absolutely, their male partners have absolutely no oh, I need a pair of shoes, they'll stop off and they'll buy it and they'll be perfectly fine. But they're there saying, oh, I can save this or I can do this or do I really need it? But if you're working and you're earning and you're taking care of everything else, why should you feel guilty about something for you? But that's intrinsically always taught to us from a very young age, you know, um, be, be frugal, be sensible. That's another word I can't stand. Be sensible, God. You know, um, you, uh, you know what I mean. Just yeah. be sensible. It's like sensible about what, you know. But it's a it's a phrase that's used so so frequently. You know, be sensible, be good, be thoughtful. Um, but this is not about being kind because we're always kind and we're always given. And if you're not kind, you're penalized for not being kind. You know, um, if you're not sensible, you're penalized for not being sensible. But you know, be sensible. I, I, I hope I don't hear that word again after today. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is a fantastic conversation. I'd just like us to quickly speak to the impact that this has on women at the workplace. There was a research by the Harvard Business Review showing that only about 7% of female MBA graduates attempt to negotiate their salary, while 57% um, of men are willing to negotiate. And this also is an offshoot of one of the things that we have talked about. I'd like to have your comments on this. You know, Nifemi, I'm so glad you brought that up. We can even go further back to women applying for jobs. A man will apply for a job with only 40 or 50% of the prerequisites for the job. A woman is waiting until she's got 90 to 100%. Meanwhile, the man has advanced himself, put himself forward. And if he has a good sponsor or mentor in an organization, he gets the position. And nobody is asking about the woman who they know 
has uh, has the skill set that can do the job. So it comes to negotiations as well. Um, we're too busy trying to figure out, well, should I, shouldn't I? Um, am I worth it? That's another thing women do. Am I worth it? Is this the right time? Or I'll wait till this day when this is occurring, then I'll bring it up. Meanwhile, a man is just going straight for the juggler. You're not paying me enough. You pay that person. You know, my, my coworker is earning $100 more, 100 pounds more, and we're doing the same job and you really should. So it, it goes back to the socialization. Don't speak up, speak up. If you're going to speak, speak up, make sure the man or the person is in the right mood before you say what you need to say. Um, but you're at the job place. No, it's true. It, it, just, just do it and, and get what it is that you want and, and be yourself. Just be you. That's the most important thing. So yes, Nifemi, it, it is, it's really affecting women in the, in the workspace, in the workplace, because they're not speaking up for extra hours. They're not speaking up for extra assignments. They go into a conference room. They say something in a meeting. And then a man sitting next to them will repeat the same thing. And he'll get all the, oh, yes, brilliant idea, John. Oh, John, fantastic. And she doesn't say, wait a second. I just said that 10 minutes ago. She just lets it go by, like, well, John's taking the accolade. Hopefully, John will allow me to work on this project with him. But Sally over here actually started it. So women need to use their voices. You know, we don't use our voices because we're told that we should be speaking softly like this. Not the way I'm speaking, you know. Um, but just use your... <laughs> their ladies understand. Speak softly. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't speak too loudly. And just be soft. No, I don't want to be soft and women shouldn't have to be soft unless they choose to be soft. But society says we should speak in a certain manner. We should sit in a certain manner. We should present ourselves in a certain manner. Why? Why? All right, Vina, let me hear your thoughts about this. I have I'm taking two, the remarks now. <laughs> I have two thoughts on this. One is that negotiation is about communication. And that when we speak, in order to speak impactfully, the way we hold the body is an extremely important part of that. So this is something that I actually teach. I actually have a program on this called Posture for Powerful Communication. Because if Sally, in Dr. Emma's example, was holding her body and comporting herself in a particular way and projecting herself into the space in a particular way, John would not be able to steal her idea. I can guarantee that. And my second thought is about money because you were, you were talking about negotiation for a salary raise. And I think that solving and upgrading women's relationship with money will change the planet for the better, for everybody. Yeah. Money actually represents life energy. That's why it's so tricky for everybody. It's not just tricky for women, but it's particularly tricky for women. Once we are able to come into a space of ease with money, ease in the sense of knowing that we deserve it, that we are capable of handling it, that we are capable of managing it, we're capable of attracting it and spending it and looking after it and curating it, that actually will then change the way that we relate to everything else in our lives. It's for me, it's one of the four key parts of tearing up the good girl script. 
fixing our relationship with money is foundational because it represents our capacity to be at ease with being on the material plane, with being at ease in the world, with, with taking up space. So it's some, that's something that I'm very, very keen on, um, that for women to develop a direct relationship with money, even if you don't have a job and you're not earning, in quotes, and I'm using air quotes there, you have a direct relationship with money. Um, and it's important to consciously cultivate that knowledge. I have a direct relationship with money. I have the capacity to hold money and to curate money well. That's it. May, may I just add something to that that people will be surprised about? So in 60% uh, of the consumers in the world are the women. The women are the ones with the buying power. Um, on, in the developing world, it's 80%. And yet, going back to what Vina just said, they still struggle with owning that power and having a good relationship with money. So it's something that we need to think about getting into schools so that girls learn at a very young age what it means to have a good relationship with money, not looking for someone to take care of them and to hold the money, but owning the money and the relationship of how you work with it and how you own it and how you use it. For, your, for yourself. And I think that will help tremendously with negotiations because they're the ones doing 60% of the buying in the world and 80% on the, on, in the developing world. Women have it. They're just not owning it. You have to own it. Yeah. Indeed. I'm so glad you said that, Bina. Thank you. <laughs> You're next, Miss Abby. Oh, yes. I, um, I've had several different uh, thoughts running through my head about women and money and uh first of all i i thought about the girls uh who for cultural reasons have to go back home after their degrees or that because their parents fear they will not find a suitable partner from the same race abroad you will be surprised that many parents feel their children need to come back home immediately after their masters and not work because the the girl's job is not to work you know there has to be a provider and these girls their dreams are cut short literally they have to go back and they'll work in whether it's India or Nigeria or Kenya they'll work um, but I feel they'd contribute so much more because obviously within two three years of going back home they do get settled and start having children so that's from a very elevated point of view of these are the very educated um, social circles but then we go down to the other social circle, the working class social circle, should I say, if you don't mind me using uh, that word, uh, that classification, where again, it's the same thing with the bride price, with you know, getting the women ready, you know, um, the, the money attached to that, you know, and survival. So my question is, we do, how do we get the girls? to own their own script, get rid of the good girl script, because the girls also internalize this fear of not being able to carry on and make their families happy with a huge wedding or with children. Mm -hmm. um, not many people have the courage Vina mm -hmm. has. Not it's many really people have the courage Dr. Amma has, or I have, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I chose uh, to, to, to raise my children on my own, so. 
Um, but not many people have that courage because of what people will say. I think that's a really important point. And I think it is true that there will be different um, circles, if you like, of this playing out. And, and I think that's where for those of us who do have the courage, we just need to keep going. And in a way, not feel guilty about those that don't don't have the courage or don't have the opportunity or have made different choices. And that's been a really painful realization. It's taken me a long time to come to that, that, you know what? It's okay for me to have the courage that I have. It's okay for me to make the choices that I have and to, and I have the privilege to be able to do that. And it's okay for me to step into that because again, by doing that, I am creating a strong energy field, a reality that is then available to more women who wish to take it up. And that's all I can do. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's, it sounds like each person, each person has to take a step or a stand for themselves in one way or another in order to tear up the script, get rid of the syndrome and advance in the path that they they have chosen so that they can thrive. Absolutely. Oh, the next word we're going to get rid of is settling down. That's another word I can't start, settled. We need to get rid of that word. It's like, what do you mean she's settled? She's settled down. Wait, that's the next word we're coming to deal with. Because we're not Cause... settled down, we're bouncing all over the place. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So get rid of, that's the next word we're coming after is settling down, settling down. Yeah, I mean, it's like so, it's, it's almost as if you're sort of shortchanging us. You're just making no. We don't want that word anymore. So striking that one off is, the list. But the reality is, um, many, as I said, um, for many women, by the time they have the courage to tear up the script, it's often too late. So I, I think my one of my roles, uh, the one one role that I try to fulfill now is giving children courage. You know, yeah. and often they come to me and they say, I want to be, a, you know, a, a pilot and I'm a girl and my parents are saying no. And then, you know, preparing the girl, how she's going to approach her parents and talking to the parents. But the, the, the reality is it has to be done not just at home. You know, we can't expect, it's not just a parenting role. It's, I always come back to this Nifemi, that it's also the education institutions. It's also all the other communities, this community, this podcast community, we have a role to play. It cannot just be parenting because surely a lot of parents have ticked all the boxes and their children still have not followed their script simply. Mm -hmm. And they're not bad parents. Mm. All parents try their best as I keep saying, to do that, to do what they feel is the best for their child, like my parents, like Dr. Amma's parents, like Venus' parents, they've all done what they feel is the right thing to do. And it's, it's no slur on them that we've chosen maybe a different path. So it's not about parenting at this point. I think it's about community and information um, seeping into the communities. Well, I know that we can go on and on because we're all quite passionate about this topic. But we have to go and then we'll find time to return for more. But there's no, one but before like we it. go, before yes. we go, I need to put Nifemi on the hot seat because you're a father of two girls. What are you Indeed. going to do for your girls to get rid of this good girl syndrome? Yeah, so 
listening to all of you, I'm getting to find out and further reinforce my belief that a woman's worth um, should have been defined by what she can be to others. You know, usually what we've seen now is a good girl's pride is in how much she can bend and shrink for those she loves. And I overheard someone say, unlike the male politicians, a female politician would like to introduce herself first as a mom, a wife, or grandmother, you know, to appeal to that good expectation of her. So I'm going to raise my, uh, my well, well, luckily for me, let me say fortunately, I, I have just two girls and I'm not planning to have another child. So I don't have a choice than to, <laughs> you know, raise them to live above board and also not to be held, held down by all of these limitations. I'm truly inspired by your talk on this podcast. And I want to say a big thank you to everyone of you. Dr. Ama, uh, a big thank you to your dad. Kudos to him for raising, <laughs> for raising someone like you. Vina, thank you for sharing. We hope to have you more in subsequent episodes. Miss Abby, and you forgot Miss Abby. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. I was coming to her. I was saving her for the, for the last. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much Thank for joining you. us. Thank you very That's much. Our Thank show you, everyone. This Thank you. See you guys again next week. Thank you. See you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. This has been a Thinking Reimagined podcast. The executive producer is Dr. Amma, co producer Peter Amon Boyle, and it is moderated by Nifemi Okuntoyen. The podcast is edited by Nelkan and supervised by Doon Sokwa. Thinking Reimagined emphasizes the importance of transformational conversations which have as their aim the bringing about of the rich diversity of thoughts and most importantly, powerful and applicable effective solutions and change. The views, opinions and contributions of the panelists are exclusively theirs and do not reflect the opinions of thinking reimagined producers or personnel. Thank, Thank you, you for listening, listening and we, we hope you have enjoyed, enjoyed this episode. episode. We invite you to subscribe to Thinking Reimagined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and other outlets. We look forward to presenting another riveting episode next week. Thinking Reimagined Podcasts is produced by Live Abundantly. We welcome your thoughts and invite you to visit our website, livesabundantly.com. Or you can follow us on social media on Live Abundantly 8. Thinking, Thinking Reimagined, changing, changing the, mindset the mindset for a better global, global society. society.